All in this study, faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. And so let's begin tonight in Matthew, the 8th chapter, Matthew chapter 8, and um, begin at verse number 5, Matthew 8 and 5. And um, I tell you, the Lord just keeps teaching me things about this subject, and um, I have a tendency to want to go to the freshest thing first. Um, and I've made that mistake in the past, and I've left you hanging on lists of things and that sort of stuff. So we're going we're gonna to plow on through uh, things the centurion understood, um, but we may comment uh, on some uh, new things uh, in the beginning anyway. Uh, but hopefully we can finish this section uh, tonight. Um, we're not going to rush, amen. We've got uh, time, and we're going to let the Lord lead us, amen. So Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Then verse 13, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, the basis of our study involves some key scriptures. Um, For instance, uh, Romans uh, 12 and 3 tells us that God has given to every man the measure of faith. Um, And if it's something that can be measured, this means that it's it's a substance. Faith is a substance that that is, it's a spiritual substance, but a substance nonetheless and, and if it's something that can be measured, I want you to think of that. You can measure a cup of water. You can measure a pound of sugar. You can, you know, what have you. Um, and so God has dealt to each one of us the measure of faith. And so this measure of faith is what we need, among other things, um, to connect with God, to understand God, to, to, uh, to follow God, to, to uh, do what God instructs us to do, to overcome the world, to receive from God. And, and so he's given us the wherewithal. You know, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So if God's given to every man the measure of faith, he's given to every person um, the means by which we can live a victorious life in, in this created realm. And so our study has been focused on, you know, if we have the measure of faith and we do, then why is that measure of faith not producing more results in our lives as it should? And we said you have to look to the heart that that faith resides in and functions from. In the same way that a light bulb goes into a light fixture, if the bulb's not working, your first thought is there's a problem with the bulb, but sometimes there's a problem with the fixture. And so we often think if our faith's not working, there's a problem with the faith, but instead of there being a problem with the faith, perhaps the real problem lies within the heart or the fixture that that faith is plugged into, resides in, and works from. And so from there, we've looked at how Jesus spent a great deal more time talking about the condition of our hearts, the attitude of our hearts, as opposed to faith. And even when he was 
um, questioned about give us more faith, he was like, you don't know what you're asking. You've got faith, and all you need is a little bit to move uh, a mountain. So we come then to the centurion where Jesus commented on his faith, and he said that it was the greatest display of faith that he had seen in, in all of Israel. And so that leads us then to examine what this man understood because the centurion never said anything about faith. He never said, you know, Jesus, I'm believing you and, and uh, uh, I've, I've set myself in agreement with. And I'm not trying to trivialize. Those are very important things that we understand and practice and participate in. But the centurion, just at least from what we have recorded here, he didn't understand any of the faith lingo. He didn't understand anything about naming it and, and, and claiming it, he, faith confessions, you know, all these things that we're well-versed in. We have a lot of knowledge and understanding from the Word on. We don't see any of that mentioned. We don't see anything, you know, about, you know, him using the term, I'm believing you to do this, I'm faith or what have you. Um, it, it, but nonetheless, it was what he understood about Jesus, what he understood about healing, what he understood about the power of God, what he understood about the will of God. And there was, when we say what he understood, it was how he looked at it. It was the perspective that he had concerning these things. Now, I'm, with the Lord's help, I'm going to complete this list of things tonight. But let me, let me just make a few comments real brief like, because understanding makes all the difference. And it's like the more my eyes are open to this in the scriptures, the, the more I realize why, for instance, we're instructed to not only ask God for wisdom, he says ask for wisdom, but cry out for understanding. Um, you know, not that we're, you know, trying to rank which one is more important, but we see that, you know, an understanding heart will either enable our faith to flourish or a lack of understanding when it comes to the things of God can prevent our faith from producing, you know, any results at all, if you will, in our lives. Now, we're going to spend some time on a verse that's very obvious that we haven't addressed yet, and that's in Proverbs 3, where he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and what? Lean not to your own understanding. What the Lord is showing me is that the, the greatest threat to you and me trusting in the Lord with all our heart is our own understanding. You know, that's, it's, it's how we understand things that often undermines our ability to trust God in the way that we should trust Him because we're so caught up in the way we understand things that our understanding creates a, a, a rich atmosphere for doubt and fear and unbelief to flourish instead of, um, of faith. And so understanding makes all the difference. And I've, I've got a list of these things and the list is growing, but, but, but understanding can turn frustration into freedom. Right? I mean, you think about the difference between being really frustrated with a situation and, and, and just having the freedom of God in that situation. You know, the difference here is understanding. Think about that for a moment. Um, think about the things that, <clears throat> just in my own life, that, that we now understand about righteousness by faith. 
you know, for so many years in my life, I, I thought that me being right with God and even me potentially making it in heaven one day was based on how good I could be, um, how, how religious I could be, um, and that it was all based upon my performance and my work. Well, that's, that's a very frustrating and, and miserable way to try to have a relationship with God. But, but now that I understand that there's nothing I could do to make him love me any more or any less than I am right now, that my righteousness is 100% based upon what Jesus did for me, not what I do for him. Not that what I do for him is not important, but my right standing with God is not based upon how good I can make myself. It's what Jesus did for me and the gift that he gave to me. So notice now that I understand this, it's turned a life of trying to live for God from frustration into freedom, right? Understanding can turn confusion into clarity, right? Where you don't under, you're so confused and you don't know what to do and you don't know how, what to say and you don't know how to respond. Now understanding enters into the picture and, and it just clears the whole thing up. It goes from being so confusing to, to now it, it's, 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 it's become, um, you know, crystal clear. So again, there's, there's some more of those things, but just think about it in your own life, the difference understanding uh, you know, makes in, in a situation, um, you know, before understanding, after understanding, um, when we, when it, you know, we didn't know, and now we know, and now that we know, it's like, how have I not seen this my whole life, and, and then the difference um, that these things uh, make in our lives. Now, one last thing, because, and, and this is going to seem unrelated to our deep dive into what the centurion understood but it's not so so hear me all the way through on this all right and i i sat here and tried and tried to craft this sentence it's it, it just let me explain and it may take a second okay consider for a moment how someone without understanding tries to imagine i've been there okay tries to imagine how someone with understanding was able to accomplish an amazing task. Okay? Now, this, this could, you know, let's start with something natural. Let, let's, um, uh, you know, math never really was my thing. Okay? And, but if you watch somebody who, like, really um, understands math and numbers, you know, you get them to help you with a math problem, and all of a sudden they just, and you kind of look at them and you go, how did you do that? See, this is, the, this is the difference between someone who understands it versus someone who doesn't. So when you don't have the understanding and, and you watch someone who does have the understanding, you're trying to imagine how, how they do that how they come up with those answers, how they got those results, right? Now, <clears throat> let's, let's take it a, a, a step further, though, okay? Um, when, when we talk about David killing Goliath, that was, that was one for me. Um, and, and never mind that I, that I maybe heard some things that were not exactly correct about all of this. But someone who doesn't, understand what David did understand, okay, 
trying to imagine how David was able to pull that off. And for me, for years anyway, I thought, man, how in the world could he have done that being so afraid? Because see, based on my understanding at the time, I'm thinking there's no way he could have went out there and done that without being terrified. But yet David somehow, in spite of the crippling fear that he was experiencing in the moment, see, notice now, I'm, I'm coming from a perspective of someone who doesn't understand what David understood, trying to imagine how he was able to accomplish what he accomplished. But see, here's the thing. David was not scared. This is the part that we don't understand. His understanding gave him confidence. It, it gave him boldness. He didn't, he didn't perceive. He didn't... Um, remember we talked about how somebody assesses and processes. He didn't assess and process the situation the way all the other members of the Israeli army was assessing and processing the situation. David walked up in the middle of that and he's like, are you kidding me? Who does this nut think he is? Right? It wasn't that he was terrified to go face Goliath. He was like, you know... You know, kids on the playground, it's like the really big bully, and he's like, okay, guys, hold me back. You know, hold me back. You know, they really, <laughs> you know, he's glad somebody's holding him back because he, he actually doesn't want to fight the bully, you know. Um, but in this case, David was like, um, would you guys just let me go take care of this? I'm tired of hearing this man holler like this, you know. But see, this is the difference between someone who has understanding and someone who doesn't have understanding watching someone who does have understanding in operation and you're sitting there trying to figure out you know, how, do they, how they do this, but you're trying to understand it based upon what you understand, not what they understand. See, we, 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 even when it comes to like, uh, here's, here's the other one, and this one was a, was a big one for me, and it has to do with Abraham. You know, you think, meany old God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. God, you know, that's just, uh, that's just out of the question. How dare you put him in that awkward position? To, you know, uh, you know and, and, it was, and, and, and you're thinking how Abraham must have just been vomiting. I mean, you know, it's like just walking up the mountain, just, you know, just, okay, I'm going to do it, God. You know, just like so in agony about this and so torn about this and all these years believing God for this kid now God wants me to kill him and and God if you want him dead you kill him I'm not killing him you know I mean just, just all these thoughts going on in our mind again see this is someone who doesn't understand what Abraham understands trying to figure out how Abraham was able to do it but Abraham was happy to do it Abraham was like all right Sarah me and the boy is going to go up on a mountain sacrifice and we'll be back me and the boy will be back right it, it, it was because he understood, N not that God was going to, at the last minute, stop him. He understood that God was going to raise that boy from the dead. He understood. I, I have no scriptures to verify this, but I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to heaven and, and we find this out to be true. I believe Abraham was going to burn him to ashes and watch God raise up a nation. Because remember, God promised him not one descendant, a multitude of descendants. I believe he was going to burn him and then from the ashes come back with, you know, a nation following him. 
You know, this was, this was what he understood. This is, now, see, it's easy. Listen to me, please. I'm not trying to say understanding and faith are the same thing. They're not. But I want you to see how they work hand in glove. Abraham was given the measure of faith just like all of us were given the measure of faith. So how was he able to function in faith the way he functioned? And, and you know, choking back the fear and the vomit and the, and the how can God ever ask me to do that? No, it was like, it was because his understanding made the difference. It was what he understood that, guess what it did to his faith? It caused it to flourish. It caused it to excel. It caused it to blossom. It caused it to increase. It caused it to multiply. It caused it to... You know, in in his heart, what he understood. So again, I'm not trying to say that understanding and faith are the same thing, but I'm trying to show you how they work hand in hand, how they work hand in glove. All right, now, again, let's let's not forget. On you got it still on the back burner. We're fixing to pull it up on the front burner and turn the heat up on it. Okay, but just again, see the centurion. This was the difference. He. He, he didn't look at healing the way so many people in our world today, even in the church today, look at healing. He didn't even look at healing the way Jesus' own disciples looked at healing, and they had been used by God to bring healing to people. He had a completely different understanding of it. And it was his understanding that allowed him to put on a faith display that caused Jesus to marvel. But now, before we go there, just... One last thing, okay? We have to beware of reverse engineering other people's exploits while failing to understand what they understood. Okay, now again, that's kind of a heavy thought. Let me go back to it, all right? There's, there's this tendency when we're trying to learn how to operate and function in faith is... Well, we'll just do what somebody else did. We'll say what, it, what somebody else said, right? You, you, you see somebody, you know, let's say your neighbor's grass is looking really nice, and you're like, hey, what did you do to get your grass to look like that? Because maybe you'll do the same thing to yours. You've got a coworker that's lost 15 pounds, and they're looking good, and summer's coming. And so you're like, hey, how'd you lose that weight? Because maybe you can do what they did to get the same result. So it's only natural for us to want to try to to mimic or, or, or do what somebody else has done to get the same results. But, but listen to me, please. You have to be careful. Remember the seven sons of Sceva. They, they tried to cast demons out of a man by saying, we command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, you cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And so they're mimicking, they're imitating this. But what's the difference here? They didn't understand what Paul understood. And we see that the demons said, look, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but we, we're not going to do what you tell us to do. Right? Because we, they didn't... If, if those men had been in faith about it, then they, those demons would have had to do what they had to do, what, what they told them to do. But they weren't in faith about it. And they weren't in faith about it, not because they weren't given the measure of faith like everybody else. They weren't in faith about it because they didn't understand these things. So here's a, here's a classic example. So be, be careful about, well, I'll just say what she said. I'll do what she did. I, I'll, I'll, 
and I, I know some folks may be hearing this, and it's like, well, you know, we've got to start somewhere. Yes, we do, but there's a lot of people who have become very frustrated, become very disillusioned with faith and faith confessions and all this other stuff because we think it's some kind of magic formula. It's not a magic formula. We're not, I mean no disrespect, we're not casting spells by saying the right word combination. Because this isn't some spiritual form of abracadabra. There has to be understanding in the heart for, their, for the faith to, to, to be released when the confession is made. All right. Now, we've said there's multiple things that this centurion understood. Okay, and the first one is that it seemed logical to the centurion that Jesus would do for his servant what he had freely done for many others. I mean, he only made, in other words, notice his understanding. It's like he's done it for all these people. He's done it for, you know, so it, you know, why would he not um, do it for me? Okay, now see, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ today who acknowledge that, that God has healed people but that doesn't mean that they have an understanding that if he did it for them, he will, if he did it for others, he'll do it for them. Number two, the centurion understood that Jesus was not acting alone, okay? That he was also a man under authority. And so just like the centurion, when he acted, he was acting as a representative of, even as an extension of, Caesar and the Roman government. He recognized that Jesus was acting as an extension of and as a representative of a king and a kingdom that not only had power over sickness and disease, but that that wanted, desired for people um, to receive healing. So, number three, the centurion understood the king and kingdom Jesus represented, wanted people healed, and had the power to carry it out. Not only wanted them healed, but that that kingdom possessed the power to carry out um, healing. Praise God. All right, now, um, number four, the centurion understood the authority Jesus was under gave him authority over sickness and disease. The centurion understood the authority Jesus was under gave him authority over sickness and disease. Okay, now, praise God. Number five, it was inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would not obey a superior. Notice how all these different aspects of his understanding, um, because he understood Jesus to have authority over sickness and disease the same way he had authority over the soldiers under his command, this then simply led him to the, to the understanding that if Jesus commanded the sickness and disease to leave that it would do what he told it to do. Because, you know, as, as we mentioned um, last uh, uh, week, there was certain swift and severe punishment for any Roman soldier who, fa- who failed to obey a command from a superior. All right? Number six, it was inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would delay obedience to a superior. Not only... Was it incon- When we say inconceivable, remember, we've talked about how conceiving and understanding work together. It, it, was, it was unimaginable to him. I mean, the, so much so that it was not even a factor, it was not even a question with him. Um, if, if Jesus said the word, then the sickness and disease would obey him and would obey him immediately. Okay? It would obey him and it would obey him immediately. 
So again, number six, it was inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would delay obedience to a superior. Now, I want you to hear me out on, on this. And, um, oh, thank you, Jesus. I, be, I believe this is a, um, a weak link in our healing understanding. Okay? Now, we're talking about healing because that's the context of this display of faith from the centurion. But the same understanding would apply to uh, any other thing. Amen. That that you would need to receive by faith from the Lord. Okay, um, but as it pertains particularly to healing, far too many of us have allowed the concept of time and timing to corrupt our understanding of healing. Help me, Jesus. All right, now one more time. Far too many of us, when I say us, I'm talking about the body of Christ, not just us in this room or us watching online. I'm talking about those in the body of Christ. Far too many in the body of Christ have allowed this idea, this concept, this, this, this thinking of time and timing to corrupt our understanding of healing. So you hear things like, um, I'll be healed in the Lord's time. Or, or how about this one? One day I am going to get healed. All right? Now, to make it clear, there are um, certain aspects of God's plan for your life that are and may very well be dependent upon timing. Okay? Um, I knew I was called into the ministry when I was very young. Okay? Um, but it wasn't time to pastor a church. But in the Lord's timing, in His time, amen, the fullness of time. Um, so that's certainly, uh, you know, timing is, is certainly a part of the Bible and certain aspects of your life and God's plan for your life um, in, involve timing. Are you with me? Praise God. All right. It was God's will for me to marry Pam. It was God's will for me to marry Pam before Pam was ever born, before I was ever born, but not when we were seven right okay so when it comes to again certain aspects of God's plan and God's desire and God's will for your life um, there are parts of that and aspects of that that are absolutely dependent upon timing and for you to try to rush the timing or delay the timing um, is, is going to be consequential for you nothing God can overcome if you trust him but again will be consequential um, for you. I honestly believe that Heritage was supposed to have started a couple of three years before it actually did. Um, I was chicken. I was didn't understand, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the Lord gave me another opportunity um, a few years later, and, and, and praise God, here we are uh, since June of, of 1998. Okay. So again, there are certain aspects of God's plan for your life that are dependent upon timing, but in all caps, Never healing. Never healing. Healing is part of salvation, and salvation is always now. It's always now. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody. 
I'm, again, I'm just trying to... Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. If, if what we understand about healing is we're waiting on God. Well, guess what God says about our healing? God says, by my son's stripes you were healed. So do you see how... Th- this is what I mean about... Um, you know, we've allowed the concept of, of time and timing to corrupt our understanding of healing. Because, you know, we think, well, you know, I, I know what the Bible says about it, I believe what the Bible says about it, but I don't seem to be healed, I don't feel healed. If I look in the mirror, I don't look healed. So since I don't look healed, seem healed, or feel healed, I must not be healed, but the Bible says that healing is for me, so I guess one day I'm going to get healed. Notice now what's just happened. See, I'm, I'm expressing to you the, the level of understanding was how so many people understand healing, and what we, don't, what we don't realize is that this isn't how faith works, period, including faith for healing. All right? Slide number 98, Christy. Um, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, Jesus speaking, I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. Okay? Now, just to clarify, um, slide 99 from the New Living Translation, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. If you believe you've received it, when do you believe you've received it? You believe you've received it when you pray. Not when it shows up. Not when the doctor tells you that it's, it's all over with. Not when, um, you know, the debt's finally paid off. You believe you've received it when you ask. When there's nothing in your life reality that looks, seems, or feels like any answer has come, yet you believe you've received it when you pray. This is how faith works, right? Do you see how the enemy has corrupted our understanding and, and, and hindered our faith to believe God for healing when we have the mindset, I'm going to get healed? Now, you can, you can do whatever you want to, and, I'm, and listen, I'm not trying to offend anybody in here, but as far as I'm concerned, there's no such thing as I'm going to get healed. No such thing as that. It's... No such thing. I either am or I ain't. But even if I think I ain't, I'm wrong there. There ain't no such, there's no such thing as I ain't healed. Because by his stripes I was. I got another one for you. Mark eleven twenty four from the English Standard Version. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Not believe you will receive it, but believe you have received it. Do you see the difference? There is a difference. What is the difference between Believe I have versus believe I will. The difference is timing. You see that? Believing you have versus believing you will. Difference there is timing. But let me tell you the greater difference there. It's understanding. See, if, we, if, if our understanding is one day we will be, 
And if I've, if I've offended you now, I'm probably really going to offend you. But it's when people talk about somebody who dies and we say, well, they finally received their healing. No, let's not cheapen it, okay? The body that was sick and gave way from the sickness was buried and the spirit and soul that never were sick are in the presence of God. But if you dig that body up, it wasn't healed. We're talking about the physical body being healed. You know, this idea that death is the ultimate healing. See, again, notice what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to, he's trying to, to, to sow seeds of, of corrupt understanding when it comes to what we understand and how we think about healing. And did I mention faith will flourish in an understanding heart? So if we understand healing, faith for healing will flourish in our hearts. But if we have, if we have understanding about healing that's not accurate... Um, uh, slide 102, Christy. This is God's Word translation. That's why I tell you to have faith that you've already received whatever you pray for and it'll be yours. Praise the name of the living God. All right. I owe you an apology because I said we were going to finish this list tonight, but we're not. Amen. That's okay. We'll finish it before the end of the year. How about that? Praise God. <laughs> I'll give myself plenty of time. Um, let me give you two more scriptures related to this point, okay? Um, slide 103, Christy, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. You don't need me to tell you that every time, do you? You've got this well under control back there. Thank you, sister. Amen. All right, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, Check it out. Take a minute to consider. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The context of this is, do you remember in Romans 8 where you're reading along and it's like, man, it's like hitting on every gospel cylinder you got to hit on. You know, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If he spared not his only son, he delivered him up for us all, right? Then he comes down to this one um, all day long, we are delivered like lambs to the slaughter, you know. And you're like, you know, where'd that come from? He's quoting that from the Old Testament. But then he says, nay. And that's not nay like a horse. That's like no way. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. So what was he doing? That was the lingo of the day. That was the poor, pitiful me, woe is me. And they, you know, they're being, they think they're being biblical about it because they've got a Bible verse to, to support that attitude. And so, you know, they're like, we're just sitting ducks. You know, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You know, they're, these little things that people say, right? And so... If you look at the context, that's what he's doing. He's, he's on this roll, man, just faith-building stuff that I recommend you memorize and, and quote and speak over your life and your family. But in the middle of that, he inserts that not because he's saying this is the way it is. He inserts it so he can slap it down so that we can understand how things 
actually are in our covenant. And so that's what he's saying here. For he says, notice it's in quotations, in an acceptable time I have heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you, right? But we're in the New Testament now. In the New Testament, we're not waiting for an acceptable time. We're not waiting for Jubilee. He is our Jubilee. We're not waiting for a 50th anniversary of something for for things to be restored to us. We're not waiting for the, the Messiah to come and set all things in order for us. We're not waiting on that anymore. In their day, they were waiting on these things. They were waiting for Him to come with healing in His wings. But guess what? He's already come. He's already poured His Spirit out. He's already taken the stripes on his back and by those stripes we were healed that's why he's saying you're not waiting any longer for an acceptable time now's the time now is the accepted time now is a day of salvation and then we'll finish with this one first peter 2 and 24 who himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, we often quote this last part of the verse, by whose stripes you were healed. And, of course, it's past tense, In the Old Testament, Isaiah says, by his stripes you are healed. And so anyone who was healed before Jesus took the stripes on his back, those individuals were healed on credit. In other words, they were healed based upon what Jesus was going to do for them in the future. Right? Now, it's no longer by his stripes you are healed it's even gooder than that it's even better than that now it's by his stripes you were healed people before jesus were they received healing in their bodies based upon something that would be done we now receive healing in our bodies based upon something that has already been done based upon a price that would be paid versus a price that has already been paid That's why we have the change of tense here. But the other thing that I want you to notice is that the first part of this passage is talking more about what we often think of as salvation, and that's Jesus bearing our sins in his own body on the tree, on the cross, and that when he died to sin, we died with him so that we might live for righteousness. So all of this is talking about what we often think of when we think of receiving salvation, being born again, being made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But notice you've got the hyphen there. Because what we see from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament is that the forgiveness of sins and the healing of our physical bodies come together as a package deal that you cannot separate one from the other because the same sacrifice that paid for the forgiving of our sins is the same sacrifice that paid for the healing of our bodies. And so that's why we have, and and Lord forgive me, we need to quote more than that last part of that verse because he's making a very important 
connection here for our, wait for it, for our, wait for it, our understanding. Our understanding. See, if somebody, and I know everybody in here tonight, I know everybody in here has been born again, okay? But if somebody were here tonight that never been born again, if I was to give an altar call, they were to raise their hand, they were to start walking down the aisle, we would, we would start celebrating before they ever even pray. Man, somebody else getting born again tonight. Somebody else being, being saved tonight. New name written in glory. Hallelujah. Let's start singing it right now. They haven't even talked to me yet. They haven't even started praying yet. But we're already celebrating their salvation. Right? Why? Because our understanding tells us that if somebody responds to the Lord, calls upon the name of the Lord, that he is faithful and just to receive and to forgive, and, and, and that person is going to be born again. If we were to say, now, anybody that needs healing in their bodies, we tend to take a wait-and-see approach. Well, let's see if Pastor Mark's got the hot hand tonight. Maybe we ought to get Matt, Rick, and Donald down here, and rest of the men down here, right? I'm trying to leave anybody out, praise God. Brother Ronnie, Brother Marty, David, John Martin, Pops, Walt, you know, let's just get all of them down here. Aaron, you come on, man. You, you come off the top rope with an elbow smash of healing, you know what I'm saying, you know. And maybe, it'll, maybe, maybe it will, maybe it won't. See, it's because we don't, we don't understand receiving healing like we understand receiving salvation. It, thank God we've made a lot of progress in this area, but, but a lot of folks still don't understand receiving baptism of the Holy Spirit the way they understand receiving salvation. But it's, 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 if you ask Jesus how he understands it, remember, and this one's later down in my notes, you can stand with me, I'll praise God, I'm finishing right here. Before he healed the man, he forgave his sins. And the religious leaders about sucked all the oxygen out of the room. <gasps> Remember what Jesus asked? He says, which is easier? Which is easier? Forgive the sins or to say, take up the bed and walk? I mean, you know, for Jesus, it's all easy. And it'll be easy for us when we understand it. See, it was easy for Jesus because he understood it. When you don't understand it, it all of a sudden, you know, it becomes very complicated. It becomes very, very confusing. So understanding makes the complicated easy, right? You see how, do, you, do you see what understanding does? Amen. All right. Father, you're so good to us. Thank you tonight for your love. Father, I believe just talking about healing, stirring it up in us is enough for folks to receive it. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our, in our lives. I thank you, Father, for, for what you're doing in our bodies tonight. Lord, I thank you that um, the skin and tissue is supernaturally growing back on John Mark's finger and he'll be playing the guitar again before we know it. And we just thank you for that. And Lord, we just thank you for anybody else in this room that may need healing in their body. I thank you, Father, that, that um, no weapon formed against us or our family or our family of faith will prosper. And Lord, we, we, thank, we cry out for understanding tonight, Lord. Help us. Father, show us where our understanding is is carrying us away from faith instead of leading us deeper into it. 
Show us, Father, where we've been thinking wrong about these things and, and how to correct these things. And Father, look, we, we can't grit our teeth and make ourselves do it, Lord, but you can unlock our understanding. You can help us see these things. Only you can, Father. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's in Proverbs. Again, I'm through preaching, but in Proverbs it says that a man who seeks the Lord will be given understanding. So, amen. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And um, understanding is a priceless gift. Amen. It's a priceless reward. So, seek the Lord this week. Tell somebody around you good things coming. Thank you for joining us online.